Like you brush your teeth with baking soda. You hear me? You gargle with like whatever. You do not buy that $8, $10 antiseptic mouthwash, okay? You got to find a way, be creative, live like your grandmother lived so you can save that money and invest the difference. And if that investing isn't necessarily in a business, it's saving so that when that opportunity door opens, you can step in and say, <clears throat> I'm ready to take advantage of this opportunity. Hey there, friends, and welcome to the Women with Ambition podcast, making money, seeking freedom, and chasing dreams. I'm your host, Deshina Woodard, the financial freedom coach and certified life coach. In this podcast, we talk to high-achieving women who earn good money, yet they still have an ambitious goal they're trying to reach. But here's the thing, they haven't fully accomplished it yet. So these amazing ladies are going to share their firsthand insights about the financial insecurities, the challenges, and the triumphs they face as they take on their ambitious goals. So if you're an ambitious woman with an ambitious goal and you're looking to get past your fears, and financial insecurities that are keeping you stuck, then this is the podcast to help you. We're going to give you the tools and inspiration you need to take action and chase your dreams. So let's get started. Okay, so today I'm speaking with Cynthia Spearland. Cynthia has worked in in the real estate industry for 20 years, gaining experience in drafting contracts, negotiating short sales, and buying pre-foreclosure properties. As a seasoned investor, she is passionate about helping women create wealth through real estate. And as a single parent, Cynthia understands the need to provide for today and the future. After the real estate tsunami in 2009, Cynthia started researching safe ways to invest. That's when she found tax sales. The best part about this creative investing strategy is it's accessible to those with poor credit or small cash reserves. So Cynthia started the Tax Lean Mastermind in 2018. And students have come from all occupations, from doctors to realtors, and even stay-at-home moms. So, (laughs) hi, Cynthia. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you today? I'm great. So glad to have you here and to learn more about you and your tax liens and your ambitious goals with that. So, so excited to dive into this episode today. Oh yeah. I'm excited to be here and share with you. It's it's a lot of fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, Cynthia. So before we really get to dive into your ambitious goals and where you are now with that, I think it's good to know a little bit about where you came from. And personally, I am a financial freedom coach. So I want to help women dream bigger and actually believe that they have the power to make those dreams come true by being inspired by other women, just like yourself, who are currently either living their dreams or who are actively chasing them. And of course, we all know that money touches every area of our lives. And often it can affect who we become as adults and the decisions we make. So I always like to start by talking about how we developed our relationship with money 
And Mm. as you know, that typically begins when we're children. (laughs) So tell me, Cynthia, when you were growing up, what did you learn about money? Oh, I had an interesting introduction to the topic of money. And my family, my parents were entrepreneurs. They had their own businesses. And my parents came from different backgrounds. They're both from the South, but so they're conservative to start off with. And they brought their traditional values to Los Angeles, California, where they were married and made their home. And so my mother was very free with money. She believed that it was just falling out of the sky and there was always more money. And so where if wherever it came from, there was more to come. No problem at all. And uh, my dad had a different view of money. He believed that you had to be very careful. You didn't know where the money was going to come from. There was no promise for money. Um, you know, so he just was very, very careful. I remember when I was a kid, we had an allowance of like $10 a week. And he would hold the dollar when he would count money out. And he would just rub it really tight, like it might stick. I want to make sure I don't overpay you your your allowance. So I learned, I was kind of confused by that, honestly, because I didn't know, I admired both of them and I didn't know which way was the right way. So I kind of adapted a combination or a hybrid approach to, um, I believe that to be careful and to preserve money uh, is really, really important to me. And uh, especially as a single parent, having a budget Uh, But always having a little fun money, you know, like they say, pay yourself first. So 10% for fun. And we would make games when my daughter was uh, young and we were on a budget at times. I'd say, um, see what you can find for $10. (laughs) So we'd hunt through the mall and try to find something that was really exquisite, but it was a great deal. So that was kind of a fun game we would play. And um, but I learned a lot from my parents to value money. I think it's important to understand the value of money and that my dad would always talk about delayed gratification. And so principles that he taught us about money, for example, my dad worked six days a week and on Sunday was chores, of course. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things we had to do was wash the car. And we'd say to my dad, you could take it to a car wash, you know, seriously, why are we doing this? And he said, I say, well, He goes, no, we're going to wash the car. I'm like, okay, well, when we grew up, my brother and I both agreed we were going to a car wash. And my dad says, well, that's fine. Even if you go to a car wash, you still need to know if they're doing a good job. How will you know if you'd never washed a car yourself? So that was really practical advice because now I understand that as I'm older, what the value of someone doing something properly or you feel like you've wasted your money because they didn't do the interior completely, you know, that type of thing. So they were really great. But I think my mother's approach to money was also right, too, because she always had plenty. Her business flourished because she had an abundant mindset. She would give, 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 give. And the more she gave, the more came back to her. So like um, in her business, uh, she started on her own. She taught herself the whole business. There wasn't a book. There wasn't a course or a coach to help her with it. But she used the principles she learned from her parents in their country little town in Louisiana. So, for example, as her business grew, she needed help. So she'd ask the lady in the neighborhood, would you like to help me? And she always would choose women that didn't have the confidence in themselves. So there was a lady directly across the street from us. And she uh, was quiet. She never said a word. And so anyway, she came to work with my mom. And then uh, during Christmas, we would take a couple weeks off. And she gave 
some of her business to different ladies in the community. So this lady kept her kids over the holiday. And when we came home, um, she said, how did everything go? She explained to her it was fine because we didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> and so um, long story short, she said, Mrs. Sperlin, I'm going to start my own daycare because after she, <laughs> right? Because she had been receiving a pay for helping her a few hours a day. But after she had them for two weeks, she saw the money that came into her hands and she couldn't believe that you could do that at home. So she called her friends and started her own daycare. She gave my mother's business back to her, but she had her own network of friends and family that needed help. And she brought them into her home and she worked right across the street from my mom for years and years and years. And I said to my mom, do you believe that? Do you believe what she did? And my mom said, that's okay. That's okay. And she did not only help that lady, but I can tell you five other ladies that I know that she helped start their own businesses right in our neighborhood. And she was not concerned about it whatsoever. And her business just grew and grew and grew. So and you know what? I, I love that you said that because as I've been on my own entrepreneurial journey, I've been hearing a lot about like how people may be afraid to give out too much information or like there's not enough for everybody. But your mom is proof that there's enough uh, business and there's enough opportunity for everybody. Even the lady across the street can have the same business and they both can be successful because she knows her group of people and your mom knows people or meets people. So, and I love that your mom had this abundant mindset where she didn't worry about money. It's like, mm -hmm. she just gave and gave and money just flowed to her because I hear that all the time. It's something like, um, uh, even a new friend of mine, she talks about the law of attraction and, you know, it's like just you know, her abundant mindset and she just attracts money. So your mom is like proof that that actually worked. She didn't, she didn't worry about it and money came to her, but also your dad. <laughs> I mean, I like that you got both perspectives because your dad, he, they balanced each other out. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, they did, they did. <laughs> because he's more like, you know, well, we got to be careful because you don't want to be wasteful, but you know, you do want to live life and have fun and enjoy your life. That's the purpose of money. It's not so much about the things, but it's about the, you know, just being able to manage your money properly so that you can pay your expenses like your dad, you know, you want to make sure you're paying your what you got to pay on time, but you also should have enough to enjoy your life and have fun as well. So, I mean, I think it's really unique that you got both sides of it. So how do you think that affected the way you handled money as an adult? Well, I was a little different with my daughter and my parents were very involved. Uh, we're a really close family. So I would tell my daughter what was happening. I say, this is what we have and this is what we need to do. And then we can do have fun with the rest. And so we talk about it. I was divorced when she was young. So it was more like a team than a traditional family. And so my parents thought that I shared too much with her. And I said, well, she needs to know. And I, so they taught me in a different way, but they didn't tell us like what their budget was uh, or anything like that. Whereas I was really open with my daughter. This is what we have. And this is what we're going to do with it. This is the must do's. And then we can have fun. This is our fun money. So they're just like, you are burdening her with this information. <laughs> and, 
And I, so we didn't agree on that. I was just very open with her about money and we talked about it openly. And so it was, I think that um, it helps children understand early up to appreciate money and that the money doesn't come out of the sky necessarily and the, the leaves off the tree. Um, if they learn to value money, then when they start receiving their own in an allowance or through gifts from family, that they can understand that we save some and we spend some. It's just going to be a natural, they'll absorb that information and being a role model. I try to, with raising my daughter, be more of a model than this is what you have to do. You have to do this. You have to do that. No. So like when I work, I say, okay, I'm going to work. You're going to school. School is your job. The grades you get now will transform into dollar bills when you go to work one day. You know, so when I'm at work, I'll give good reports. When you're at school, you get good reports and don't do anything to call me from work to have to deal, you know, because that takes away from our nest egg growing. So she understood all those things and she understood that her conduct was a contribution to the team moving forward and winning. And she would out, then she turned it to my manager sometimes. Mom, would you make that phone call? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love <Yes>. that. <laughs> so that's awesome. I think it's so important. I mean, I know in a lot of households, people didn't talk about money much. You know, my parents never talked about money other than just, uh, you know, we can't afford that. <laughs> or money doesn't grow on trees or something like that. But, you know, I think teaching kids early and that's actually part of as I've been getting into the personal finance space, I think that's so important to start them early learning good money habits because that's not and to be a role model because that's not what we see modeled by society. Society teaches us, I like to call it like the recipe for success. You know, you you go to school college, you you earn a degree and you get a good job and then you're supposed to be, you'll have lots of money and you can, and that makes you successful and, and you can spend. Society kind of just teaches us to spend and buy. And, and so that yeah. just, it's like always new things, the next new thing, get this, get that. But it, you know, having that uh, role model and learning from an early age, how to really take control of your money from the, it's not about just earning it to spend it. It's about, I guess I would say dividing it up or managing it in a way so that you're always making sure you're putting some aside for your, for your future. You always have some that you can use for your present now. Like maybe you called it fun money earlier. I call it that too. And then <laughs> you, you making sure you're taking care of your bills and Truthfully, I'm trying to teach my children how to live on uh, 50% because I mm. feel like, why shouldn't you uh, be able to keep 50% of your money, you know, or at least as close as possible? Because even yes. if you did 75%, I mean, don't you deserve something? I mean, why should all of your money have to go to somebody else? It's like, if you learn, if you teach them early, like when my son, he got $200 for his birthday, I told him, I said, well, you take 100 you, if you want to spend it, that's fine. But the other hundred, you're going to save because I want you to get into the habit of learning that if you start living on half now, you know, you can carry that with you as an adult. And sure, if you want, you know, the more you make, the the more you will have to spend and the more you will have to save. But I guess it's kind of like a one to one thing in my mind. If, if For every dollar I spend, I want to save a dollar because I, I worked for this money. Why don't I get to keep at least half of it, you know, instead of because I lived uh, for a long time where I 
never had any control over my money. I felt like I didn't have any control. All of my money was just going to pay and pay. And I was like, why am I giving all of my money? I'm going to work hard for this money, but I'm steadily giving it away. I never have any. And that's not a good feeling. So that may be a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> I get passionate about that because I feel like if we teach kids early, you know, yeah. I mean, because society will not teach you to save. I mean, it just doesn't. It, they flash everything in your face that's advertising. To, and, you know, we're getting hit from every angle, your cell phone, your TV, your, you know, billboards everywhere. It's always buy, buy, buy. And then you're even just your neighbors, you know, everybody's got something new or fancy or the latest this or that. And it just encourages you to spend. But, you know, I want to encourage my kids to at least save as much as you spend. And then the practice of giving as well, learning how to maybe even pull 10% out of that. Maybe you take 10% to give, 45% to live on and 45% to save. But it definitely starts early to start to build on those habits because it's much easier to develop a good habit than it is to change a bad one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's I mean... True. That, that's that been my experience for sure. So I know it's just you and your daughter and you got a divorce. Did that cause you any money challenges along the way? Yes, uh, it, it delayed me a little bit. And so it taught me a lesson that I really didn't understand when I was younger. I worked for the Department of Defense at the Air Force in El Segundo and uh, as a contract negotiator when I first uh, finished undergrad. And this uh, soldier said to me, you know, he goes, um, you probably won't understand what I'm about to say. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> but he says, I love my wife. She's a wonderful lady, but she is a liability to me. He says, I have a good job as, as a career military uh, personnel, but I uh, also do a lot of work on the side as a DJ. He says, and every time I bring money into the house, she spends it. And it was so frustrating to him because he wanted that second job, his fun DJing career to be the extra money that they could invest for their future and retire and enjoy their second half of their life. And so he said, whatever you do, marry someone that's an asset to you. And so I thought I understood what he said until I was, you know, heading to divorce and I realized that I had not done that. And so it was going to cost me a lot, not only financially, emotionally, uh, but a lot of decisions, the things that I'd hoped for that I wouldn't be able to have those things because I had, you know, not married the an asset. So yeah, financially it was difficult because I gave everything to my marriage uh, to make sure that um, it, we could save it. And then when we couldn't, I kind of just left with just enough, but I had the belief like my mom, I always have what I need. God will provide. He's my rock and my shield. So yeah. I wasn't worried. Money's money. They, you know, they make it every day. <laughs> so hallelujah. So I, was, I was okay with it. It wasn't a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, now I know uh, that you, if you're going to get divorced, you need to put some money aside for that, yeah. you know, but um, luckily my parents were gracious and they um, helped us moved in with them for a short time while I got on my feet again. And because I do have a lot of skills that are valued, I was able to get a job. And before long, we were living on our own and, and happily doing so. But emotionally, you know, there were decisions that uh, my daughter didn't have her father. And so that's something that's always been with her as much as I told her all the people that loved her every day, every day when we said our prayers 
at night. I'd say, oh, your grandmother and this one and that one, name everyone. So she knew it was a host of people that loved her, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't the same as having her father there. So that's, you know, hurtful to me. Um, that, yeah, yeah. So, but um, he was a good person. He's very bright. Uh, he had um, a mental deficiency, um, mm-hmm. bipolar. So it was difficult to work with someone under those circumstances uh, when they don't want to take their medication and, and do the things that are required. So, but very, very good person, very intelligent, very kind, but just couldn't be there for as a husband and a father that we needed. So I said, okay, I want her to have everything that she needs and not grow up in a environment that kind of is unpredictable. I wanted her to have stability in her life. So that's why I chose that path for us to, and then I decided that um, I didn't want her to feel ever feel slighted that I had a child and a difference. So it'll be a, a new spouse, a stepfather, and maybe another kid. And then it's like three against her. So mm. I said, okay, so that, that was my thinking. So I didn't want her to ever, ever feel that way that uh, she was outnumbered or anything. So I decided not to have any children or to remarry. It was just the two of us. So and then she says, mom, why don't you get married? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That that's amazing. That's amazing story. My goodness. So she's, she's doing okay now. Oh yeah. She's dynamite. She's a wonderful, wonderful young lady. I, um, all of the time, time is the most precious, precious thing you can give to your kids more than money, more than toys or anything. And so, um, she's, uh, so responsible. She got a scholarship to college on the East coast. That was her dream. So I told her when she was growing up, I support her and, and her dreams. And she said, I want to go to college on the East Coast when she was in elementary school. I said, you can do it and I'm going to help you do it. And so she loved to read and she was a phenomenal writer. So when she was in high school, she attended a, a school that gave you your associate degree and your high school diploma at the same time. And she did exceedingly well. And she had lots of letters from the uh, professors at the university. So she went to college on the East Coast, Northeastern University on a full scholarship for five years. And she's uh, went to work after six months of a job search. She's been working for the same company for three years. I'm really, really proud of her. So awesome. Awesome. That is amazing. Beautiful story. Wow. Congratulations, mom. <laughs> and to her, you did it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love hearing that. That's because it can be tough for single parents. My sister has been a single parent for a long time. And uh, fortunately, she's gotten all her kids, at least through high school. <laughs> now, college, <laughs> not so much, but at least she got them through high school. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm telling you, it's a, quite a feat to do that because, you know, I remember when she was seven and she put her little hand on my neck and she said, Mom, I love you. And I always remember that because it was just such a tender moment. And then a few years later, she was like, Mom. <laughs> you're so cringe. Everything I say is cringe. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where's my baby boy? Go bring me my baby boy back. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, 
That, that's awesome. Okay. So now tell us about your career now. So you're doing something in real estate, I know. Tell us some more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, my parents were a big influence on me. So when I was 13, I saw my first creative real estate deal. And so my parents were able to buy some property uh, through a friend of the family who had moved out of state and they were having trouble managing the property. So my dad pulled some money out of his uh, life insurance policy, some cash value as a deposit on the property. And then we started working in the property on the weekends and he worked in there at nights as well. So um, we still have the property to this day. And I but back then, it, about three years, I could tell there was a lot of changes happening in our house with that extra income coming off the rental property. And I said to my dad, well, why don't you do this again? And he goes, oh, no, I don't like being a landlord. I'm like, are you joking? Oh, when I grow up, I'm going to do this at least 10 times. And so those words, I never knew they would be a prophecy, but I did uh, 10 times again and again and again. So I they really believed in education. So I went on through college, USC, then I worked for the government before going to law school. But I could never get this hunger, this desire for real estate out of my system. I would tell people, I'm reading this book about, you know, no money down. I'm reading this book about whatever, this strategy about real estate investing. And they'd say, that's not real. That's not real. And I'm like, why would you say that? It's real. It's in the book right here. Don't you what they wrote. So uh, long story short, I did all the things. I went the path, what I'm supposed to do and all of that. But I would uh, I would still go to network events and um, for real estate investors. And that, that would hear the stories they would tell you. I got this big fish, you know, like the property or whatever. So finally, I just said, oh my gosh, I, I, I want to do it. But I'm afraid. I was honestly, I was afraid. And so um, I at one of the networking events of, for real estate investors, I met someone and they said, you should be doing that. And I go, I know I will, but not right now, not right now. So Back then, it was totally different than it is now. He put an ad in the newspaper with my phone number on there and said, "If you're looking to, buy, <laughs> yeah, if you're looking to buy some real estate, call this number." And so I came home and I'm like getting these messages on my phone. I'm like, "What the devil is this?" And so I found out that what the plan was. So we got this property, and I negotiated the short sale on the property. So it was someone that was wanted to sell their home, but they were in financial trouble. And we talked to the bank and I took care of everything. And so the, they asked the bank to take less money than was owed. So that's what's called a short sale. And uh, the first time I did that, we profited $50,000 inside of 30 days. And so I know. Wow. That's <laughs> amazing. Right. So it was a 50-50 split. You know, he found the property and I found, I negotiated the deal with the bank. So anyway, I said, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So the next month we did the same thing. So I'm working full time. And then I picked my daughter from preschool and then we'd go out and knock on doors and try to find these opportunities uh, from like 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And I would be carrying my daughter upstairs to my apartment 
and she'd be like a sack of potatoes, just heavy, dead weight on my shoulder. And my mom would say, be calling me. So my daughter's on one on one shoulder. And then I got the bags over on the both shoulders. And then my mom's calling me. So we didn't have cell phones at that time. And I'm just like, oh, she's like, you're a terrible mother. She'd tell me you're bringing your baby home at 10 o'clock at night. This is horrible. She needs to get some rest, blah, blah. So I said, mom, listen. We will do this until we, you know, can't do it anymore. So eventually it was another month, you know, the same thing, not quite 50,000, but it was still good money. So after the third month, I was making way more than I made in my full-time job. Uh, so I, uh, my partner said, why don't you quit your job? I'm like, Ooh, gosh, you know, that was a thought. Like, how do I do that? I mean, I can see it, but what about next month? What's going to happen next month? And it's like, just do it. So, you know, I had to tether that, sever that cord and just go full out, you know, just dive all in. And it just got better and better and better because when you're an entrepreneur, it really brings something out in you that you didn't even know was there. You have to survive. You have to learn to swim. You have to ask questions. You have to talk to people and you have to trust in God. Just like you don't know the steps. You just, you say, okay, God, what do I, well, this is what I say. Because from that experience, I didn't know anything about it, but what I had read in the books, I didn't know how to be a real estate investor, but I had learned something. So when I, uh, just a, a side, it, it's related though. But so what I want to say is when you work for someone, don't just go there for that check. You are going there to learn something that you can use yourself in the future to put that information with something, a God-given talent in you to support yourself unlimited. But if you stay in the comfort of that job, you will never know the all the possibilities of the life you could have outside of that job. So, and that's why, like you said, you don't spend every dime you make at work. When you work, you must, must, must live on the bare minimum. Like you brush your teeth with bacon soda. You hear me? You gargle with like whatever. You do not buy that $8, $10 antiseptic mouthwash, okay? You got to find a way, be creative, live like your grandmother lived so you can save that money and invest the difference. And if that investing isn't necessarily in a business, it's saving so that when that opportunity door opens, you can step in and say, I'm ready to take advantage of this opportunity. I was in law school and I worked for State Farm House Council. So I knew insurance law, but there was a recession when I graduated from law school. So the only thing people would only hire you had experience. Nothing. And I want to work in real estate law, not in insurance law. So I didn't take the job at State Farm. You know, I'm a I'm a rebel. So <laughs> I went and I found three law firms that did real estate law. And I every week I would knock on their door and say, hi, my name is Cynthia, because we didn't have the what you guys have now. So I take my resume and I'd say, here it is. You know, I'd like to work here. And they'd say, thank you. See you later. We'll call you if we need you. So one day I went and I did that and I had left how many resumes there. So this time I came, the lady, the receptionist said, please have a seat. I said, please have a seat. She said, yes, have a seat. The the attorney said, the next time you come in here, (laughs) ask her to wait. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I came every week like a clock. I was dependable. I was showing I was dependable. I was interested. I was persistent. I was I would persevere to get what I wanted. So I went in, I waited and he said, you know, I like to talk to you, our paralegals leaving for to study for the bar. We'd like to ask you to fill in for her. I said, OK, great. Um, so then when I started there, they gave me the hardest assignment possible. They said, here's a case. And we're trying to get this motion approved. And everyone in the office has tried and that's been denied. And I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So I went into the office. I sat down at the desk and I prayed. I always prayed. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. And these other people, they don't know what to do. And so God said, call the clerk at the judge's chamber and ask them, what do they want? So I said, well, I don't have anything to lose. Thank you, God. So I dialed the number. I called and I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they said, I said, what's needed to get this approved? He said, oh, just check the box. You know what? What? It was so simple. It was so simple. So I did it and I submitted the motion. It was approved. And so then the attorney wrote to everyone in the office, Cynthia did this. She's amazing. Everything like that. So skip ahead. I learned that the most powerful thing you can do is ask questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. If I hadn't made that call, if I hadn't asked the question, the doors that opened after that were awesome for me. So then skip ahead. I don't know how to be a real estate investor. I've just been reading the books and going to meetings, right? So suddenly my part for me to be have access to these thousands of dollars every month, I had to do the short sale because I had the negotiation background from working with uh, Department of Defense. So I didn't know what to do. So I called, guess what I did? I called the bank and I said, <laughs> okay. I said to the banker, I said, how do you do a short sale? And they said, okay, we're going to send you the sheet of paper that tells you how to, the ABCs of how to do a short sale. So I have the law background. I have the negotiation background. I have a communication major and I have my work experience around all of that and my desire to be a real estate investor. So now I take this sheet of paper and I, it's a template and I apply it, lay it over this house that we want to negotiate a, a better price. And I did that over and over and over again. And I made thousands of dollars because I wasn't afraid to ask a question. Wow. Just that simple. Just ask questions. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Now with that short sale and the bank sent you that information, do you have to be a lawyer or an attorney to do that? Or can anybody do that? No. No, anyone can do that. So it's it's there's a department in the bank that most people don't know about. It's called loss mitigation. And so they are it's a department that is to reduce or minimize or mitigate the losses to the bank from failed mortgages, failed loans. So they they're responsible like right now COVID's going on. So they have a mass of people that have been affected by their jobs, their employment circumstances have changed. So then they came up with the CARES Act by the government to help people stay in their homes. 10 years ago, back in 2010, it was a HAMP program. Everyone fell into a financial distress over their home. And so they created the HAMP program. So, but 
even without those programs, people get divorced, go through divorce or some financial challenge, a health challenge that they're not able to make their mortgage anymore. So then they call the bank and they say, hi, I can't make my mortgage payment. All right, hold on. We're going to transfer you. So from servicing where you're paying on time or they're a little bit late, that's servicing. Mm -hmm. But when you can't and you're like 60, 90, 120 days late, you go into loss mitigation. And then they evaluate your circumstances and they say, okay, based on this information, you have a short-term dis- uh, problem or a long-term problem. It's short-term or long-term, uh, do you have enough income to support an adjustment in the payment? So then they will give you a, a reduced payment or they'll lower the interest rate for a period of time. They'll work some, they'll do a workout, what's called a workout. If you can't, then they'll say, okay, now we have to look at foreclosure. And so they want to get, like, say, for example, the mortgage is uh, uh, $500,000 and you owe $400,000. You paid on it for a period of time. Uh, so now they say, OK, you can try to sell it. So you can listen with the realtor and then they'll do a short sale because someone's going to come and say, oh, you're in foreclosure. That's why people, when you go buy a house, you say, why are you selling the house? Because it's going to make a difference in the offer. So you say, well, um, I'm in foreclosure. They, the husband lost a job or you know, spouse died or whatever the case is. And so then they say, okay, well, you know, oh, the bank, the bank is, mm, let's, add, <laughs> let's offer the bank, you know, 350. Let's just see what the bank will say. And so then you say, that's a short sale because you're asking them to take less shorting what they're owed. And now if you can't get someone to buy the house during this period of time, it's a a window that they allow you to do a pre-foreclosure. Then it's, if you're not able to sell the house, then they will take it to auction. And that's a foreclosure process where you are forced to leave the home and it's sold to a third party. Right. Is that like a tax lien sale? No, no. So, um, so, so, okay. So there's a, a foreclosure, mortgage foreclosure is the banks in control. And so um, that's what I did uh, until the crash in 2010. And so afterwards, I said, gosh, I don't really like that because the banks were so slippery. And I found out a lot more than I knew working uh, through that process and helping people stay in their homes using the HAMP program. But um, afterwards, I said, you know, there's got to be a better way, more secure. And that's when I found the tax liens. Now, the tax liens and the tax deeds are when someone fails to pay their property taxes. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to pay your property taxes. And when you don't, they'll send you a notice and say, you're late and now you owe this much. You're late and you owe this much. Well, by law, after a period of time, if you don't solve that problem and cure the debt, then they'll put you on a list and they'll notify you, your house is now on an auction list and it is set to be sold on this date. Now, up until a period of time, like the day before the auction, you can still go in and and solve the problem and take your uh, name, your property off that list. If you fail to do that, then an investor can come. Banks are huge investors and pension funds and variety of hedge funds. You know, large investors love the tax lien because the government is selling the property and all they want is the money that was owed on the taxes. So the taxes could be, say, $1,000, but the house is worth 100000 Or, you know, I've seen million-dollar condos for sale on for $40,000 of back taxes in San Jose, California. So you can do amazingly well with a small amount of money because they don't care what the value of the property is. So they'll take their money, and on a tax lien, uh, the person has 
what's called like a redemption period. So after that, they still have time that they can come and pay the back taxes plus the interest. And the interest is very high. It depends on where in the country it is, but it could be like 20%, 12%. I mean, you can't get those kind of rates in the bank and your money's completely secure. You don't, you're not a collector of debt or anything. The person of the homeowner with the lien that hasn't been paid, they go back to the collector, the tax collector, they pay them. And then the, the county will give you the money of your that you invested. It's very safe. You made more money than you would have in the bank. And you didn't have to do anything except for put your money over here instead of over here. Yes, I've been actually learning a little bit about that. And I'm, I'm fascinated about it. And I do want to learn more. Uh, I was going to go to a tax lien sale actually uh, last month. But then I had something else come up, but I said, I'm going to catch the next one in my local area right here. They do them on the third of the month. And I said, I'm going to go and just sit and just see how see the process, see what goes on. Good because I, I heard you. that's what you that's what you do to start learning. You just go and and kind of mm-hmm. see and get a feel. But I also heard that if you did come across something you wanted to get, you have to pay cash and uh, cashier's checks or money order. But of course, you wouldn't know how much to bring in a money order or a cashier's check because you have to get those pre-printed ahead of time. So that's what I heard is the trickiest part is, you know, either you bring multiple cashier's checks in different amounts or you, uh, because they don't take personal checks and they don't take credit cards. Is that correct? Right, right. Yes. So each each county has different rules. And so what I tell all of my uh, tax lien mastermind members is to read the rules. Because every county is different. So read the rules first. That's And they'll tell you what they accept. And now a lot of auctions are online. So you can pay through ACH and different uh, elect- online electronic methods of payment. But they want the, they want the money. And so that usually, it's, uh, they'll say, but that day. So like you have a deposit in order to go be participate in the auction. And then if it's not available right there through you can pay it, but it has to be that day. But the the rules tell you exactly what they expect. And then you have to also understand what a lot of people don't realize is that what you, your responsibilities as um when you win this auction. Now, if it's a tax lien and there's a redemption period, say two-year redemption period, you have to be prepared to pay the taxes for those subsequent years. So um if the you know if they haven't paid those taxes and they're living in the house they continue to live in the house and they, then what happens next year if they don't pay those taxes then it will start you know getting those delinquencies so you want to protect yourself in the event that they don't pay it if they fail to pay the subsequent taxes after the redemption period then you can uh, bring a legal action to take over the property. And so then you back, you, if you had, if you had to pay those taxes in between, can, will you get reimbursed for that money as well? Oh yeah. So yes. Yeah. They, so they'll have to bring all of that current. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So this is really important. I've had people say that um, they saw the taxes and they've gone and paid the taxes that for the property that was on the list and that you don't want to do that because if you pay the taxes and you don't own anything. You've just, you know, been generous, uh, you know, philanthropists or whatever. But yeah, don't don't pay the tax. And sometimes if the person like if you want like how I did with the pre foreclosure investing with the mortgage company, 
the same thing. You could talk to a homeowner bef- while you see the, the property is on the list for auction of a tax lien or a tax deed. The homeowner could be willing to sell the property to you because obviously they're on difficult times. So you could say to the person, you know, um, if you quit claim your house to me for X dollars, like $500, you know, what do you need to move? $1,000, whatever it is. And then after they quit claim the property to you, then you can record that, pay the taxes, and then you're um, able to get the property for a good price and not have to compete at the auction. But you have to be careful about doing that because some counties have the rule that do not contact the homeowner um, because they try to protect people, even with pre-foreclosure mortgage properties, there's laws in place in different states, different laws to protect homeowners from being swindled out of their home and things like that. So it's a very fine line, but just going to the the sale itself is very, very profitable. Uh, One of my members bought a tax lien, was able to be rented inside of 30 days for $1,000 a month. So her 15, so all in all with legal fees and such, she was in for about uh, 12 to $15,000. And so her money's completely protected. She's a single mom, so proud of her so proud of her single mom didn't waste her money didn't lose her money cuz now that 15,000 turned into 70,000 she can use some of that money to you know make some more investments of other tax liens right um mm-hmm. or she can just like just be comfortable that her she'll get her 15,000 back in 15 or 18 months with the rental payments so she's good she's whole 100% better than 100% right yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. So tell me, Cynthia, what is your ambitious goal? Well, my goal is to help single women. I I love everybody. Don't get me wrong. But as a being partial as a single mother, a single parent, I know the financial you know challenges that are ahead. I also know the worries at night when your kids are asleep and you want to give them everything. You know the horseback riding lessons. You know the yes. tennis lessons, all of that, dance lessons, and everything to help them explore the world and be well rounded. But how do you do that when you're living in this much money? And so that's being wise and saying, okay, well, do I want to start a business? And do I have the time to take away from my kids to start a business? But you can invest a small amount of money. If you put $100 away, even at the end of the year for next year, you could say, well, now I have $1,200 to invest. And during the time where I'm saving this money, you know, I'm educating myself on, on tax liens and tax deeds and reading, scouring the internet, watching videos and uh, reading books to like I did over the years. So when the opportunity came, when the door opened, I could step in and, you know, and take advantage of that. So it's being prepared and taking that two hours a week or an hour a day to really try to develop those skills. And that makes all the difference because um, I have another lady, it didn't take her $15,000. She took $2,000. The auction started at um, about just under $900. And she won the raw land auction for $2,000 and is worth $25,000. So amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. And that's the other thing too. I really, really encourage uh, uh, women to practice with the small lean. So we would go on field trips uh, from uh, living in Las Vegas. We'd go over to Arizona and they have what's called over-the-counter liens. So for practice, we'd buy liens that cost $200, $300. 
So then you could feel I'm an investor. I just invested in a tax lien for $200. And now you can practice that. And that's your education instead of paying for expensive class. I've told so many people I've talked to, they've taken a $5,000 class. They went to the weekend seminar and then they're like, you got to do this. We're going to be here for three days next month and all this, right? And so then that you feel like, okay, well, I have it on my credit card and then I'll make get this big fish house and uh, whatever the story. And then it never happens because when you leave that one day, two day, three day seminar, your head is full of so much information. You're just like, oh, that was so much. You're exhausted. Now you've got to go back and get caught up on the laundry. <laughs> you know what I mean? That exactly. big book goes on a shelf over here. And two years later, people come to me and they say, I want to buy a tax lien. And I saw your video and I know you help people buy them. I said, do you really want to buy a tax lien? Because I don't want to work with you if you're not ready to pull the trigger. You know what I mean? And so they do, they buy them because they, they paid $1,500, $2,000, $5,000. That could have been their practice money. Why are you going to yeah. give it to them? Just go, if you, how much money have you thrown away on a pair of shoes for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 500 bucks, a, a fancy top. You know what I'm saying? Stop spending the money on those. Fa- My mom would say, why are you going? My mom loved Nima Marcus. That was her store girl. Okay. Okay. And so, I'm just like, no, I love that stuff, but I want it on sale. And now I don't even want it from Neiman Marcus or any of those stores. I go and I like that. I like this top. So she'd she'd see me sometimes. She'd say, where'd you get that? I'd say... I'd say um, TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx, she'd be so mad. (laughs) But, um, you know, take your money and be wise with it. Instead of buying that thing, say, this is my freedom money. This is my money out of TJ Maxx. This is my money out of never going on vacation. Right. I love that. Freedom money. Yes. (laughs) That's the way I look at it. Freedom money. Not to be, yes. you know, just spent on, you know, just stuff because stuff doesn't make you happy because most of the time, if you get over your head with stuff, it just causes you more stress because now you're worried about how you got to pay the bills for all this and to keep all this stuff or to keep it maintained or, you know, so I'm a hundred percent debt free. I try to live a stress. It's, it's a stress-free existence because, <laughs> because I've been there with the, with the bills and the fancy car and all that stuff. And the stuff did not make me happier. <laughs> I'm so much happier today now that I don't, that I can see money in my bank versus seeing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then plus, you know, when you, right. you kind of know you can buy this stuff, it's almost like some kind of fun little secret. It's like, well, hey, I can buy the stuff, but I don't need it. I can, you know, I like seeing my money in my bank, but if I, if I just wanted it, yeah, I could buy it, but I don't want the stuff. I want the money in my bank so I can feel secure. And, you know, it, it just opens up so many more options and opportunity to do the things sure. that you really enjoy. Awesome. Awesome. So your goal, so your ambitious goal is to help women. Did you have a specific number in mind? How many women are you trying to help? Well, I have a big, big goal of a thousand. That's the magic number. Because if you help one, then it's going to ripple into others. You know what I mean? So those thousand can be the seeds that help other women in their families and communities. So I think a thousand would really be wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So what are you doing currently, Cynthia, to make that happen? Well, I am. I had taken off a a few months to help my parents with their transition uh, as they ended their lives. Um, But uh, so I gave all my time to them and kind of unplugged from my uh, teaching. And so I just uh, completed a session of the summer school. I call it summer school session um, with uh, some students. And so now I feel like uh, I'm going to revamp my material and uh, for the fall. And we're going to launch into a big um, session and try to reach as many women as possible to for the fall session. And um, and then this is something that the kids can learn. They can make it a family fun thing. And uh, then the kids can, with their uh, allowance, save and buy tax liens too and teach them. What if the kids own their own homes before they even, that they have rental property before they even leave for college? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, what what's the name of this uh, course or program? Oh, yeah. my uh, You can find me on Facebook, Tax Lien Mastermind. Okay. Awesome. Tax Lien Mastermind is my Facebook group. And so I post there and then um, I um, have a channel on on YouTube, but uh, Facebook is a great way to communicate for sure. Yeah. So do you feel like you faced any challenges with your ambitious goal? What challenge do you feel like you faced? Well, I think the biggest challenge is people having confidence in themselves. You know, sometimes people um, are afraid to try something new, uh, like, oh, that sounds too good to be true. Well, it's been around since taxes have been around. So, um, it, you know, even Thomas Jefferson was with his property. Montecito was listed for a tax sale. So <laughs> because he had troubles financially paying his own sometimes. So this is a real thing and it's very secure. The only thing is, so why would someone take a course if it's in the book and it's here and there and uh, different you know places? Um, what's really important and what I practice with my tax lien members is due diligence. Because if you're not careful, you can buy a bad lien that's a, a junky property. You know, you have to dig in. It's not just saying the list of the property, but looking at maps and seeing is this property a sliver of land like this that it's like, well, what is that? You know, no one's going to pay the taxes on that. You can't sell it to anyone. It's nothing can be built on that. So you you have to do check some things on on the property before you make that investment or you could be buying a problem or if you don't if you walk away like someone else walked away from this you did waste some money but i mean it's not a waste you learn something you learn it's all an education but you want to use your money as wisely as possible so due diligence is what we practice uh and so by w- doing it in a, in a group in the mastermind you can learn as other people buy their liens so that helps you accelerate your learning. That's a purpose. And you can do it yourself or you can accelerate it because I'm buying in Georgia and someone else is buying in Florida. And so you you can learn from those scenarios and see uh, a method. And the other thing that's really fun, too, is there are different backgrounds. So you have people in the medical field and I have pilots and that have taken the course and real estate professional, mortgage sales professionals, things like that. And so it's um, it's interesting their perspective from their particular industry. There's a way they approach problems and solve problems. And so they bring that to the table. And so they'll say, oh, did you see this? And so we'll be looking at a hypothetical and someone from the medical field would say, oh, what about this? And 
and the realtor will come this way and someone would come from a different approach. And when you put all that together, that's where that mastermind comes from, where all of our minds are kind of melded together. So that's really helpful too. And there are uh, groups online on Facebook also that are in, in tax deed groups and tax lien groups. Tax liens is you only owe, own the debt. You've paid that debt. What the deed, like in the state of California, the state of Nevada, um, those are, you actually get the property. You actually get the property. So, yeah. Difference. Oh, awesome. Now, as for you, you know, as you pursue this, uh, this goal to help this 1000 women, do you have any, do you feel any like uh, fear or, you know, uh, as being, a, you're not currently employed right now, you're self-employed. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yes. I, um, I own a franchise. For uh, networking, I believe that everyone should make their uh, network their net worth. So um, create their own economy, and and so uh, there's a way to do that as well. And I, I share that with people. And my uh, uh, my franchise is a networking uh, group, the best of the best. And so it's called Network in Action. So that's um. But I'm self-employed, entrepreneurial all the way. I love having the freedom of my time to, you know, do what I want, when I want, where I want. I always like to have a business where I can travel. So people always say to me, so where are you today? <laughs> I love that. As long as I have <laughs> Wi-Fi, I'm good. <laughs> yes, yes. So to women who maybe want to pursue self-employment, was that scary for you as a an attorney uh, to let go of that stable fixed, uh, guaranteed income and take on this self-employment venture. How was that? Oh, sure. Yeah, it definitely was very, very frightening because I didn't know what to expect. But what I say is, um, I have the best business partner there is, God. I mean, I'm a winner. It says, so I say this thing every day and I say, God has a plan to what prosper me, what, you know, not to harm me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So even if it looks like a problem, it's a lie. It's an illusion. You know, I already know I have the victory because my partner is omniscient, right? Omnipotent. So I don't, I'm not, if I were in it alone, (laughs) yeah. And because God put it in my heart to do these things, he put it in my heart to share uh, people's, you know, they say, oh, you don't charge enough. Oh, you shouldn't teach these people. You know, um, men have all, uh, when I started in the business years and years ago, it was predominantly men. And so it's so wonderful to see more women investors in real estate and stocks and other things, because, um, you know, we are uh, critical to the household. And so I used to have this group called Women Creating Wealth. And one of the things uh, 20 years ago, it was a real problem. Um, you know, the women were, would defer to their husbands. You know, they didn't really have a voice in the household. Even if they were the leader, you know, it was still had to be making him think that, you know, he was leading the show. <laughs> but what would he be without her, you know? So anyway, now women can go and to invest on their own. They don't have to bring their husband and invest through him and things like that. So uh, it's really great. Women creating wealth, leaving a, a legacy for their family is so important. Like, for example, that was one of the things that my parents really worked for, uh, despite their differences about money. They had one goal to leave a legacy for their children. And so they were able to do that through real estate. 
And so the same thing, when, whenever I do something, I always think, will it pay me today and tomorrow? That's my goal. When I do something, it's like, I need to get paid twice on this because, uh, you know, so like, for example, I had a, a business, an entrepreneurial business doing billboards. And so I, I love the billboard business because not only when the person uh, signed that day, I sold them that one time and they agreed to pay for six months or 12 months. So I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And I and I love that. And they love the service. I know I offer a good service. They'll sign again and again. And then they'll tell someone about me. So before long, people are saying, you know, um, how can I get on the billboard? But in the beginning, I had to tell everyone, hey, I've got this billboard. Hey, I've got this billboard. And then before you know it, they're saying, how do I get on the billboard? You know, so um, I, I just love that. And so one time when I was doing the billboard business, I didn't know how God was going to step in. So it was just an idea that came to me out of the blue, wasn't planning on doing it, wasn't something I dreamt of, but the idea came to me to start a billboard business. So I called an independent billboard company in the city and I said, I'd like to buy a billboard. And it, they were around the rotating ones that go around the uh, freeway. And I, they said, oh, those are $10,000 a month. I said, $10,000 a month, what? I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want to resell the billboard time. So you get so much time on these boards a day. And I wanted to buy that time and resell it to someone else. So they said, okay. So um, they said they would go half on the billboard. So then that meant I had, you know, that much to make above at least uh, 5,000 or more. And so um, I said, so I started and I started selling the billboards and they said, if you talk to someone and they want to be sure that you're really not scamming, uh, have them call us that you work with us, but I'm independent, but they would, you know, vouch for me. So that happened. They did. People were like really excited to be on the billboard. It was a time of like too good to be true. It's like, you're reselling this, you know, I can, I can get on the billboard for a thousand dollars or $3,000, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they call and go, is this, uh, uh, yes, it's for real. So, um, so then I said to them, listen, I've been working really hard, but I need, I need that billboard to cost a little bit less. So they went down to $3,000 from 10. And so that made my profit margin grow even more. And so the, the point of this whole story is it, it sold, it started selling and people started calling. And I would say to everyone, I'm the billboard genie. And I'll grant your wish to be on a billboard. Do you or someone you know want to be on the billboards on the 15 in Las Vegas and the 215 freeways? And so one day I said to this to this guy and he said, I know six people that want to be on a on a billboard. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so it turned out two of them, two of the six uh, went forward and they were uh, agencies. And so then they would call me and to put their celebrities and different people on the board. But this is why it was so important to listen to those ideas that come to you. So a lot of people in your audience are probably sitting out there saying, I don't know if, um, you know, I have this idea, but I've got the babysitter. I've got this. My mom's sick. I need whatever it is. They've got an excuse why they can't act on that idea. But I've acted on the idea. And why it's important is that six months later, I was diagnosed with a tumor. And so I was able to not work because I had the billboard money coming in. I couldn't work. I didn't know that I wouldn't be able to work. It's six months later. And those contracts were still paying 
over and over and over again. Isn't that something? That is awesome. That is amazing. Passive income. It's important to create multiple streams of income. And the more passive ones you can create, the better. I mean, and that kind of goes back to also making sure that you're saving a significant amount of the money you earn. Because if you just spend everything, then you wouldn't have have had that financial security when you're, you know, when you were ill. And, you know, still knowing that, okay, well, hey, I've set up some systems in place. I've got money coming in. I can take care of my health without having to stress over how I'm going to pay my bill. So so important to get some sort of foundation or some sort of, uh, you know, safety net in place. You know, as I was getting out of debt, I remember thinking, you know, I used to just always think of, okay, how am I going to, you know, every time you get a raise or when I get a new job, it's like, okay, now I can buy that car I wanted. Okay, now Mm -hmm. we can get some new furniture. You know, I went from, okay, what can I buy to, ooh, this means now I can put more money into my savings account. Now I can start investing. Now I can, you know, I started looking at ways to keep my money and make it work for me instead of just the things that I could buy. And you see how important that is because having that security and that peace of mind is just priceless. So that is awesome. So uh, is that your advice or what advice would you say for women? Is Is that pretty much your advice? Absolutely. I agree with you. That is definitely important is to save more than you spend. And you'll just and because you don't know when that day or hour will come, but you're but you can go in confidence. So when you decide you have an idea, know that God gave you the idea and go and act on that in confidence. Do one thing to and just see where what door will open. If it is what he wants you to do, like, you know, I want to help a thousand people. He wants to help a thousand people. He knows that there's a thousand people and then they'll tell a a one or 10 or that turns into another thousand, right? So it's not your idea. It's his idea. And he's asking for you to be the the channel for that love to show all these other people. So it's it's not about me. And that's when you can really, uh, people say, oh, you know, just show up with, like, I'm kind of, crazy about making videos. I want my hair to be right and all these things. Right. And so everyone's like, it's the message. It's the message. And I'm just like, no, it's my, (laughs) (laughs) of course it's both. Right. I mean, nobody's going to be listening to my message if my hair is sticking all up. (laughs) You you understand, but it, it, it really is the message. You have to set yourself aside, set your fear aside and know that there's a bigger purpose because um, so many times I've talked to people over the years when I was presenting some idea and they'll say, I've been praying for this. I've you know, I've been looking for a solution. And so it's just amazing how you're you are that. But it's God through you. And yeah. so if you understand you're you're serving, then you won't be afraid because you're not absolutely you're not alone. That's just so important. You're not alone, even though it feels like you are. And whatever you say, it's the right thing to say, because you're, you know, it's kind of like Moses, right? You're God speaking his wishes. He helped the uh, Hebrews and, you know, we have to help each other. You know, he's where the hands, where the eyes, where the feet, you help somebody today you know, and, um, and see how that would changes your life. Cause I don't know, it just has this effect when you help someone just even with the smile, you know, uh, it's, it can be the smallest thing. It's your gift. Use it. Don't be afraid. And you're not alone. Just do it. Like Nike says. Awesome. 
awesome information. So tell us again, Cynthia, where can people find you? Find me at Tax Lean Mastermind. That's a, a great place. You can message me. I, I love Facebook and I love to talk to people that are interested in tax liens or have questions. Feel free to message me there and um, and I'll respond. Awesome. I'm sure this is going to be helpful to so many women uh, that are, you know, to inspire them to go after those ambitious goals and to, you know, listen to what God is telling them and to just try it. I mean, you don't know. It could lead somewhere, but that is just beautiful. I love your story. So thank you for being here today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. You're awesome. And I love your work you're doing and keep it up. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women with Ambition, Making Money, Seeking Freedom and Chasing Dreams podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to hear more, then be sure to do these three things. First, hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified each time a new episode drops. You can also visit us on the website extravagantlybroke.com slash podcast and subscribe to our email newsletter for all the latest women with ambition information. Second, share this episode with your family and friends because sharing is caring and we can all help elevate each other. Third, don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player so that we can continue to bring you more amazing stories from ambitious women just like you. So that's all for now. And thank you for allowing us to inspire you as you pursue your ambitious goals of making money, seeking freedom, and chasing dreams.